As the NATO summit gets underway, Ukraine's leader wants assurances it will ultimately be admitted into the alliance, but U.S. President Joe Biden has concerns. A fast-track membership for Kyiv can be seen as an invitation to conflict with nuclear-armed Russia. Plus the controversy over providing cluster bombs. As explosives that release smaller sub-munitions, cluster bombs can kill indiscriminately. More than a hundred countries have banned them. And later in the program, beyond reconnaissance and attacks, how Ukraine is using drones to save civilians or even capture the enemy. Today is Monday, July 11th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London in Washington. The war in Ukraine has been high on the agenda Monday as U.S. President Joe Biden and British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak met in London. Biden is preparing to meet with other NATO leaders beginning Tuesday as Ukraine's president wants a signal that his country will eventually be allowed into the alliance. In a news briefing in Vilnius, Lithuania, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says Ukraine will eventually become a member of NATO, but not right now. It is for the uh, allies and Ukraine to decide when the time is right to invite Ukraine to be a, a full a member. Uh, the most urgent task now uh, is to ensure that Ukraine um, prevails as a sovereign and independent nation in, uh, in Europe, because unless Ukraine prevails, uh, then there is no membership issue to be discussed at all. We hear more now from Associated Press correspondent Jackie Quinn. Military aid to Ukraine is a key topic for the upcoming NATO summit in Lithuania. So is membership, with Sweden trying to get in. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky, through a translator on ABC's This Week with George Stephanopoulos, says they want a commitment they can join NATO when the war has ended. It would be an important message to say that NATO is not a free of Russia. U.S. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby, also on ABC, says the U.S. has some concerns. I still have to work on some reforms, political reforms in the country, and of course they're still at war right now. Kirby's also defending the U.S. decision to send cluster munitions to Ukraine, which some allies fear will lead to civilian deaths. More civilians have been and will continue to be killed by Russian forces. I'm Jackie Quinn. U.S. President Joe Biden remains one of the most reluctant among NATO allies to grant Ukraine a quick pathway to join the alliance, setting up for a contentious debate at this week's summit in Vilnius, Lithuania. Eastern flank members are eager for the war-torn country to join as soon as its conflict with Russia ends. Washington wants to strengthen Ukraine instead, announcing a controversial plan to send cluster munitions. White House Bureau Chief Patsy Widakuswara has this report. Thousands of cluster munitions will be provided to Ukraine to defend itself against Russian aggression, the Biden administration announced days before the NATO summit in Vilnius, Lithuania. These weapons, banned by more than 100 countries, can kill indiscriminately over a wide area and remain active for years. Kyiv has been requesting them for months amid an artillery shortage, said Ukraine ambassador to the U.S. Oksana Markarova to VOA. We need to liberate as many territories as possible, and we need all the capabilities to do so. 
That's why we need this DPCMS, the cluster munitions. And we're so grateful that today the United States made a decision to provide it to us. But what Kiev wants most from the Vilnius summit is a fast-track pathway to joining NATO as soon as the war with Russia ends, said Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. We expect positive results, or at least some steps toward the positive This is very important for the security of the whole world. President Joe Biden is reluctant to provide. They got to meet the same standards, so it's not going to make it easier. A fast-track membership for Kyiv can be seen as an invitation to conflict with nuclear-armed Russia, signaled National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. The president also has been clear that we are going to support Ukraine for as long as it takes and provide them an exceptional quantity of arms uh, and capabilities, both from ourselves and facilitating those from allies and partners, but that we are not seeking to start World War III. A fast track for Ukraine to join NATO could drag the alliance into a direct conflict with Russia, forcing Washington to send American troops to fight, something Biden has repeatedly promised he would not do. Patsy Widakuswara, VOA News at the White House. Meanwhile, as NATO members prepare for their summit in Vilnius, the U.S. has again justified its decision to send the cluster bombs to Ukraine as we hear more from VOA's Veronica Belderis Inglesias. As explosives that release smaller sub-munitions, cluster bombs can kill indiscriminately. More than 100 countries have banned them. But as Ukraine is running out of inventory in its counteroffensive against Russia, the United States has now agreed to send them some, explained the White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby on ABC's This Week show. We're going to send these additional artillery shells that have cluster bomblets in them uh, to help bridge the gap as we ramp up production of normal 155 artillery shells. The Russian government, who has been accused itself of using cluster munitions in urban areas of Ukraine, condemned the move. Human rights advocates have underlined the dangers that cluster munitions pose to civilians. Democratic Representative Barbara Lee echoed similar concerns on CNN. They don't always immediately explode. Uh, children can step on them. That, that's a line we should not cross. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, interviewed on ABC, once again raised the importance of receiving international support in the form of diverse weaponry. F-16, F-16 or any other equipment that we do need will give us an opportunity to move faster, to save more lives, to stand our ground for a longer time. Zelensky added that he would like to get clear security guarantees from NATO when its members meet in Vilnius, Lithuania. U.S. President Joe Biden, who appeared on CNN, lowered expectations that Ukraine would join the military alliance anytime soon. I don't think there is unanimity in NATO about whether or not to bring Ukraine into the NATO family now, at this moment, in the middle of a war. NATO is a process that takes some time to meet all the qualifications, and from democratization to a whole range of other issues. Republican Representative Michael McCall expressed similar views on CNN. They've demonstrated a will to fight, a will for freedom and democracy, against tyranny and oppression. I think they've earned it, uh, but we have to put it on, a, on the right path forward, not an immediate 
ascension into NATO. Discussions on how to bring Kyiv closer to joining the alliance are expected to take place during the NATO summit. Veronica Valderas Iglesias, VOA News, Washington. Russia's war in Ukraine reached the 500-day mark this past weekend, a grim milestone for a conflict that rages on with no end in sight. While the fighting has fallen largely into a stalemate, Ukraine's government and its Western supporters hope a broad counteroffensive launched last month will change the battle lines and return Russian-occupied areas to Ukrainian control. In the meantime, the war continues to take a heavy toll on lives and livelihoods of hundreds of thousands of people, and the stakes are only getting higher. I spoke with Anna Chernikova in Kyiv for an update on the battlefield and insights into why President Volodymyr Zelensky spent the 500-day milestone in Turkey. It was interesting that that's where President Zelensky spent Saturday. Hard to believe it's 500 days now. What's also very important, as President Zelensky had his European trips, a particular announcement that he's coming to Turkey on that day. On Saturday, he announced that he is coming back from Turkey, bringing back to Ukraine five Azov commanders who spent since September last year when they were released from Russia. Russian captivity. They spent all this time in Turkey and they were supposed to spend the whole time until the end of war in Turkey under personal protection of President Erdogan. According to Ukrainian and Turkey official statements, a couple of months of negotiation were taking place and this led to this particular event happening that President Zelensky personally brought these commanders back to Ukraine. It's an extremely positive, especially emotionally, news for Ukrainians. Extreme happiness here in Ukraine. The commanders uh, in their first press conference stated that they will be back to the battlefield to protect Ukraine because they feel this to defend their country. But again, it remains unclear how how it was possible to negotiate. So apparently we will in the future find out what was the deal about them coming back before the end of war and why this previous deal was changed. And I know you have some updates Updates as far as what's happening uh, on the front lines, on the situation at the north border, and of course, an update on Bakhmut. What can you tell us about all of it? Uh, so we finally have a confirmation from the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine that Ukrainian forces had particular advance uh, in the area of Bakhmut, and they are now controlling some important points in this in in the uh, in the surrounding of, of Bakhmut. Uh, that allows them to basically have a fire control of the area. This is as much as we have confirmed so far. At least we have this confirmation because for these past weeks and days, particularly last week, we were hearing that Ukrainians are actually moving back and forth and that Ukrainians are trying to advance and certain actions are happening. So now we understand that there is certain success and we will keep our eye on that because more updates apparently will be coming. Also, another unfortunate event happening in the Parisia region, in the city of Orihiv, which is not far from the Parisia. It was a really bad shelling happening over the night. Russian forces were shelling this city with aviation bombs. For the moment, we know that one of the bombs targeted the school and reached the school, which was also the humanitarian point for uh, for the civilians who were getting humanitarian aid there. For now, 
we know that four people were killed on the spots and 11 people are hospitalized with different level of injuries. So the numbers could change, but this is extremely unfortunate, especially considering that it was a humanitarian point in there. And also Ukrainian officials confirmed that it's quite a tough situation at the northern border of Ukraine, which is Sumy region, because we're hearing about constant shelling, especially artillery shelling from the territory of Russia uh, by Russian forces. Uh, and this was happening for almost the whole time since uh, the full-scale invasion began. And uh, Ukrainian uh, authorities decided to evacuate a five-kilometer zone. People who lived uh, at this five-kilometer zone from the border due to this uh, constant attacks. So for the moment, uh, it's unclear where exactly they will be going and what exactly Ukraine is planning to create as additional defense there. But at least this is the news which is coming and this is definitely an, a news which will be updated. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kiev. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. The Kremlin has said that Russian President Vladimir Putin met with the leader of the Wagner Group days after he waged a short-lived rebellion. Associated Press correspondent Karen Chamis reports. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said the three-hour meeting between Putin and Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin took place at the Kremlin on June the 29th, just five days after an armed mutiny in which Prigozhin led his fighters into Russia. Prigozhin ended the mutiny after a deal was brokered for him to be exiled to Belarus. Wagner mercenaries have fought alongside Russian troops in Ukraine. Prigozhin has a long simmering feud with Russia's top military brass, which culminated in the June 24th rebellion. I'm Karen Chamas. Meanwhile, mercenary chief Yevgeny Prigozhin pledged loyalty to the Russian government in a Kremlin meeting with President Vladimir Putin five days after the commander led that short-lived rebellion. According to a senior government spokesman Monday, it's the latest twist in a baffling episode that has raised questions about the power and influence both men wheeled. Friday marked 100 days since Russian authorities detained Evan Gershkovich and charged him with espionage, the first U.S. journalist to be accused of this since the Cold War. The Kremlin hinted this week that it would be open to negotiating a prisoner swap. Henry Ridgewell reports from London. 100 days behind bars. Evan Gershkovich, the Russia correspondent for the Wall Street Journal, was arrested on March 29th in Yekaterinburg, east of Moscow. Russian authorities charged the 31-year-old American citizen with espionage, accusing him of gathering information about a defence company that was a state secret. Gershkovich and his newspaper strongly deny the charges. He's being held in Moscow's notorious Lefortovo prison and faces up to 20 years in jail if convicted. There may be a glimmer of hope. Russia confirmed that there had been contact between it and the US about a potential prisoner swap, which could potentially involve Gershkovich and Vladimir Dunayev, a Russian citizen in US custody on cybercrime charges. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said, We have said that there are certain contacts with the United States on this matter, but we do not want to make them public in any way. 
The talks must be carried out and continued in complete silence, he said. Russia had said there could be no exchange involving Gershkovich until a verdict was reached in his case. No trial date has been announced. His pre-trial detention has been extended to August. The US ambassador has called on Russia to release him. The charges against him are baseless. He is an innocent journalist who was carrying out journalistic activities and has been wrongfully detained. Such hostage diplomacy is unacceptable and we call on the Russian Federation to release him. The US Embassy has accused Russia of illegally restricting access to Gershkovich in jail. Moscow said Thursday this was a retaliatory measure. Maria Zakharova, a spokeswoman for the Russian Foreign Ministry, said When the visas have been denied to the Russian media, who were supposed to cover the Russian presidency of the UN Security Council in April this year, the decision was made to pursue postpone the visit of American diplomats to Gershkovich. Press freedom has declined sharply in Russia since its 2022 invasion of Ukraine, according to the organization Reporters Without Borders. Russia ranked 164th out of 180 countries in its 2023 Press Freedom Index. Anton Orek is a Russian journalist based in Moscow. He told VOA there is certainly no journalistic work going on in Moscow now, in the full sense of this word. There are just employees of media outlets, the official mass media that keep working under the conditions of military censorship, with all those restrictions that were imposed already last year, where we are not allowed to use certain words or touch on some particular subjects. Foreign journalists in Russia had enjoyed greater freedoms than their Russian counterparts. Analysts say the arrest of Evan Gershkovich will likely prompt many foreign media organizations to re-evaluate their operations in Russia. Russia. Henry Richwell for VOA News, London. Ukraine has been using drones for a reconnaissance and attack since the start of Russia's invasion, but sometimes combat drone operators use them to save civilians or even capture the enemy. Anna Kostuchenko went to the Donbass region to find out more. This drone strike is one of many for combat drone operator Andriy, whose last name VOA is not using for safety reasons. Andriy says his unit eliminated about 200 Russian soldiers in the Bakhmut region in just a month. My partner is doing reconnaissance work and I'm responsible for drone strikes. It means when the target is detected, it's my job to knock it down. We eliminate between 5 to 10 enemies per shift. Prior to volunteering at the front lines, Andre had been a trained boxer for some five years. Right before Russia's invasion, he was preparing to compete in the Kyiv Boxing Championship. It may look like boxing is simple, but it takes a lot of time to perfect these moves. After joining the attack aircraft complex Achilles in March 2022, Andre found his new vocation. His unit's mission is to conduct reconnaissance operations so that the infantry can proceed safely and destroy the enemy's forces and military equipment. We eliminated many tanks, self-propelled guns and manpower. We often perform our tasks with the enemy's aviation firing at us. It's tough, but we do our job.
Drones are sometimes used to save lives, Andriy says. During an air reconnaissance mission near Bakhmut, he noticed two civilians attempting to evacuate an area within range of Russia's artillery. The commanding officers decided to save them. Another time, Andriy says he saved a Russian soldier. He was walking in the trench and looked really helpless. There were dead bodies of Wagner mercenaries all around him. It was clear from his expression that he was in shock. Plus, he was unarmed. So we wrote a note to him saying, surrender and go after the drone. I attached it to the drone like I would attach ammunition. Only this time, I wasn't throwing a bomb. I was giving him a chance in life. Andriy says he plans to keep fighting for his country until the war is over. Anna Kostichenko for VOA News, Donbass region, Ukraine. And since the start of Russia's invasion in Ukraine, 60,000 Ukrainian children have been treated at the first medical union in Lviv, located at St. Nicholas Children's Hospital. We hear more now in this report from Omelian Oshudalak. Despite intense pain, nine-year-old Veronica is trying to move her hand. Her physical therapist, Serhii Huda, is helping. She stayed with her relatives in a bomb shelter, the whole family, nine people. Witnesses say a tank shell hit the shelter. The shelling happened in April 2022 in Vuhledar, a town in the Donbass region. Veronica's family was hiding from explosions in the basement of an apartment building. There were none of them. Her grandparents were shielding her during the attack. Her parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles all died. Veronica was the only one to have survived. Grandma Nina was there. Papa Anton, too. I don't remember my mom. Aunt Anya was there. And Uncle Oleg. Or maybe it wasn't Oleg. Veronica was brought to the hospital in a critical condition, with shell fragments in her head and neck. She spent several months at St. Nicholas Children's Hospital of the First Medical Union in Lviv, relearning to walk, hold objects and smile. The First Medical Union of Lviv, an umbrella medical association made up of a number of hospitals, has become the largest medical hub in Ukraine's rear. Since the war began, they have opened a rehabilitation center called Unbroken and a department for pediatric rehabilitation. One of Veronica's nurses, Snežana Šmihelyuk, remembers the traumatized little girl. When we came in every morning, before we even changed, she was waiting for us. When we left, she cried. Knowing she had nowhere to return, it was hard to tell her we were going home. A year after her treatment and recovery, Veronica still comes to the hospital to visit the people who saved her. Today, she lives at a foster home and attends school. A year ago, it was hard for her to imagine she would be living a reasonably normal life. I know many people here, friends of mine. Today is the best day for me. Veronica is one of the 350 severely wounded children who have been saved by Lviv doctors since Russia invaded Ukraine. Physical therapist Huda remembers them all. I never forget. They all have become a part of our lives. Ihor Koshivka, deputy director for rehabilitation, says the first medical union also is trying to raise $950,000 to purchase equipment. Previously, we were providing rehabilitation to 600 patients a year. 
Now, thanks to this expansion, we're helping some 1,200 patients. According to UNICEF, more than 1,000 Ukrainian children have been injured and 525 killed since Russia began its invasion in February 2022. Omelano Shudlyak for VOA News, Lviv, Ukraine. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of the entire Flashpoint Ukraine team, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London. of America, Washington, Papa, Zip, D.C.